Welcome to Pastors with Pour Overs, conversations about coffee and Christian faith. I'm Cody, I'm a pastor in British Columbia, Canada. And I'm Kyle, and I'm also a pastor in British Columbia, Canada. And today we're drinking some Americanos that you just made for us. Yeah, we are. Which is a, a little bit different. It's not a pour over. No, but when we came up with the name pour overs, it was more of the the PEP thing, right? The pastors with yeah. pour overs. And we always knew we were going to do some extra ones. This is uh, Epic Espresso from 49th Parallel. And uh, we use 49th at the cafe that we work mm-hmm. at, but we don't use Epic. Epic is like their, their lighter roast espresso, which I really, that's what I buy when I bring it home. I actually didn't realize that this was Epic Espresso because we sell bags of it, but yeah. we don't use it. So people are like, is that good? I'm like, I assume so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is. I like it better than what we sell in store. So that's good to know. Yeah, well, I think both of us tend to go towards the lighter roasts anyways. Mm-hmm. So I've, I think darker and medium roasts are better for like customers. Yeah. It's more like palatable for people. Um, but, you know, when you start drinking more coffee... Um, and you kind of get into the more pour over stuff you start in specialty, you start seeing mm-hmm. it goes lighter and lighter. So, and, uh, you were pretty excited as you were making this because <laughs> yeah. there's something go- going on with your espresso machine. You're the expert here. I don't yeah. understand. Well, there's a single stream and that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on, I've been on a little bit of a journey. <laughs> Let's say, I don't think I've ever really told you about it, but basically what I've been trying to do is, uh, I've been trying to see. You can buy espresso machines, and like if you look online, most people say to get a good espresso machine, you need to spend probably like up up over a thousand if you want a really good one. Mm-hmm. You have some Breville ones as well that are like kind of that eight hundred mark where you can kind of get it, but people say you have to spend the money, and especially on a grinder, like you want a good grinder, which is very true. I set out on a journey because I don't have a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, to try to make good espresso at home with the least <laughs> the least amount of money that I could spend. So basically what I did is I, I went on like Craigslist and uh, Kijiji and all those places. And so I bought my espresso machine, which is a Breville machine um, that is really old. Mm. Um, but I bought it for under like 200 bucks. So I got that. And then as I was continuing on, I had to get a better grinder because my grinder wasn't good enough. So then I went and bought a grinder off Craigslist as well, which is also a Breville. Um, and then gave me your old grinder. Yeah, I gave you. Yeah, exactly. I pawned it off on you. Um, so I went and bought that, which was also under a hundred bucks. And so I had to buy some other things on the way. I bought, like you said, the the single stream that's coming from the like mm. bottomless portafilter. Um, and so you you get that single stream, which shows you it's like a good like even distribution and everything. Anyways, um, basically. I'm pretty sure I'm under $500 when it comes to what I bought for the espresso machine, when it comes to like the grinder and the machine. Mm-hmm. And I've now gotten to the point because I had to kind of tweak my grinder even a little bit and like pull it open, put parts yeah. in to get it so I could go fine enough. And I finally got it where I'm at a happy, like gr- good espresso at home. Yeah. Um, there's obviously like you can always do better, but mm. this is great. Yeah, I like that's it. That's why I'm excited. It t- it's a very balanced cup, too. And and that's uh, $500 Canadian for all of our international yeah, fans. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Many of them out there. Uh, so anyways, today we wanted to talk about Christian or, or church worship. And I kind of 
got excited about this because I saw you posted on your Instagram story, I think it was, mm -hmm. just a, a screenshot of the 1689, which is a, the a London Baptist, Second London Baptist Confession, this paragraph about worship. And I thought maybe you could read that and we, that'd start us off. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading through the 1689 again recently. I think it's a great confession of faith. Um, and so, uh, I mean, even leading up to podcasts that we're going to do, I came to the one on worship. So this is chapter 22, paragraph one of the 1689 confession, uh, which says, the light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all, is just, good, and does good to all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself, and so limited by his own reveal, revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men, nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. That's the whole paragraph. Nice. Which, uh, what chapter is that? I'm just trying 22, to find it. 22. Chapter 22 of religious worship. Uh. Basically, when, why, I mean, why I post it, I like posting stuff like that on my Instagram just to kind of, um, you know, put good content out there. Mm -hmm. I also post, you know, pictures of me and my wife and stuff like that. It's not just all this, but um, I like to, a lot of my Instagram tends to be coffee, kind of life stuff, and then um, theology stuff, especially in my stories. Yeah. You, you always post good theology, and then I think it's happened twice now, actually, that I've been like, that's good, I'm going to share that. And then as soon as I share it, then I start getting grief. People yeah. are like, how could you share this, Cody? But everyone's like, wow, that's so, that's so wise, is really Kyle. nice. Yeah. That's great. Um, but yeah, I saw this paragraph and it got me excited, mm -hmm. especially for, and I mean, I don't want to skip all over all of it, but uh, where is it? Uh, but the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself. Mm -hmm. And that's something that... Uh, I think we've been thinking about and talking about is we're planning like a new church where we're deciding how we're going to do. We're still shaping our liturgy. Like we had a confession not that long ago. We recurred to us not that long ago that we haven't been doing communion as much as we should. So we've been mm -hmm. doing communion more. And um, right now we're not doing worship because of our local, well, we're not doing music at yeah, least yeah. because of our, our local regulations with COVID and nonsense. But we are going to have to have these conversations. And I think we, we've almost unspokenly agreed that we're going to, that we lean towards what's called a regulative, regulative principle of worship. Mm -hmm. And do you want to kind of walk us through what that means and what the, the kind of the two different stances are? Sure. So I think basically what you have is the, yeah, like you said, two stances. So you have the regulative principle, which means that we only worship God how he has prescribed that we worship. Mm -hmm. So when we come to deciding what we're going to do in a worship service, it's we look to the Bible to see what has he specifically said that we should be doing in our worship. Then there's, so there's, that's the regulative principle. Then there's the normative principle. And the normative principle says anything that's not forbidden is fine. Mm -hmm. So 
Um, I'm not huge. I don't really know much of the history about it, but from stuff I've read and everything, basically coming from the, especially the Protestant Reformation, you have the normative principle there, which is good. It says anything that's not forbidden is, is fine. Is kind of put in the negative, but it, it's at least saying like, we're not going to do anything that scripture specifically says we shouldn't do, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a good way of, of looking at worship, right? We, if, if the, we go to the Bible and says, do not do this, we're not going to do it. The regulative principle, on the other hand, um, restricts it even more in a sense. And it says, we're only going to worship based on what God has said we should do. Mm-hmm. So it's not leaving that kind of interpretation open for, well, it's just not forbidden. It's like only what God has, has said. Yeah. And I think um, I couldn't give you like dates and names, but I think historically that rose up out of basically just wanting to trim down all of the things that had been added to religious services, all these aspects that mm-hmm. um, we're not re- like, we're not really sure where they came from or they're actually like politically or culturally influenced and we made them a part of a worship service and it, and it just took too much prominence because we, we have a tendency to, to hang on to certain things. Like I just preached on fasting this morning and how mm-hmm. it actually wasn't like it, it was prescribed in the old Testament, but the Pharisees took it to the next level and made it like the be all end all of being a, a, right. a Jewish believer. And there's certain things that just sort of polluted and got mixed in with worship. And I think that's where the regulative principle was like, all right, let's cut out everything we're not told to do because like, we don't know where that came from. Like why that's probably not really honoring to God anyways. Mm-hmm. And it's putting God's standard in the place of our worship, right? Mm-hmm. So when the 1689 says like it's instituted by himself uh, and so limited by his own revealed will, that's what we're, we're looking to God for his standard, not our own. Because mm-hmm. we can tend to say, well, what doing this in a worship service, that's not bad. Um, it's not a bad thing. But what tends to happen and what can happen is that those things can start being a distraction from the reason why we're actually there, which is to worship God. Um, And then when you start allowing that, well then kind of anything else can start to go. And we, you know, it's a little bit of a fallacy to say it's going to be a slippery slope, but that's where we're saying like, we want to be limited by Mm -hmm. what God has revealed in his word. I think it just makes sense if we really believe in, in God as, a person or three persons like I think of um if like I don't want anyone to worship me but if someone wanted to give me a gift mm-hmm. they could give me like I don't know coffee or they could even like there's things that I'd be happy with but if someone was like oh I bought you this like Tim Hortons blend uh like pre-ground Keurig I don't know like something I'm gonna be like cool like that's not (laughs) really what i want that's not really what uh, what's pleasing to me in a way Mm -hmm. but then also it'd be like if i sent out a list and i'm like all right like as a kid i don't know if you ever sent like christmas lists or if that's like a (laughs) it sounds like ridiculous to think of now as i'm like wow how like needy was i (laughs) but uh you send a list and you're like all right i want any of these 10 things and like we Mm -hmm. bought you wool socks and it's like yeah. that's not what i asked for it where you think if god's saying this is how i want to be worshipped he's saying this is how 
were to worship him and then we're going to be like, okay, yeah, but I don't like singing. So instead I'm going to do this other thing that you didn't ask for. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe he, like, it's not to say again, like you said, that's not necessarily bad, but some of those things, like, does God even want that? Right. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And God has all right to do it. Right. That's mm-hmm. what the beginning of the paragraph says. Like he had who God who has lordship and sovereignty over all. Right. He he's allowed to do it because <laughs> it's his worship and it's mm. for him. Um, and he is worthy of the worship that that he requires of us. Um, one of the verses that I wanted to bring up was Deuteronomy 12, verse 32. It says, whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add. You, sh- you should not add to nor take away from it. Mm. And that's uh, that's what our attitude should be, right? It's like, whatever God has commanded us to do, that's what we want to do. That's what we're looking to do in our in our lives, for sure. But especially in our worship as well, when we come together as a gathered church for that time of worship, we want to be doing it in the way in which is, it's pleasing to God, like you said, and in a way that he has commanded these things to, to happen as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we, yeah, we've said we kind of, we lean towards the regulative. We lean towards this idea that we're not going to, um, you know, add aspects to worship, be doing things that God didn't ask us to do. And I, I think we, we should explore that a little because mm-hmm. probably there are, people in traditions and churches that would say like, you guys aren't regulative at all. What are you doing? Um, That's honestly, when you look up regulative principle and you mm -hmm. try to find out what it is, um, you can usually find like some sort of definition, but I've like, it's so hard to find something where someone has laid out. Well, what can you do then? Like, Mm -hmm. what are you supposed to do and why can you do those things as well? Well, one that like I saw when I just Googled it right now, to see if I could find like a quippy definition. Is there, is there like, oh yeah, regulative worship doesn't have instruments because in the New Testament, instruments are never mentioned. Right. And I know churches that do that, churches that don't have any instruments at all. And that like we have instruments uh, or yeah. we, like we play instruments. I, I don't know, unless you, you have some secret where you're like super against bass or something. I don't <laughs> think we disagree. And I think that comes from scripture. Psalm 150 tells us to praise him with, you know, the lute and the harp and the strings and the trumpets and all these, like a lot of instruments that just don't exist anymore. Like I, I tried a few people know how to play them. Yeah. I was there like, I don't know, I was looking, play at medieval fairs or something looking for a lute recently. Cause I thought, wouldn't that be like a fun, like party thing to be like, Hey, check it out. I got lute. They're expensive and hard to find. I'm sure they are. But like the idea there is that we're praising him with, everything praising with every instrument with crashing symbols i know it says like twice which i think is just a, a translation thing yeah um everything that has breath so this idea that then like oh we'd go from every instrument as part of the worship to god to no instruments to us doesn't really check out yeah well and i think you i mean when it comes to even like we talked about regu- regulative and normative um, even within those, you'll have differences of opinion mm-hmm. on what you can do, which is like totally fine. And this is where, you know, we're trying to honor God in the best way that we can. So in our interpretation, 
of what the regulative principle says um, and specifically in how we apply that, there will be differences. So mm-hmm. um, I remember, I think it was a like a question and answer video I saw from like Ligonier, Grace to You, one of those. One of the guys, they were talking about this. One of the guys um, in their congregation, they have just an organ, like that's mm-hmm. it. Um, and they'll sing like, so- they'll sing Psalms, which a lot of like those in the Presbyterian tradition will do. Like they have the book of Psalms that they yeah. sing from, right? Um, but then other guys up there, like, uh, they, you know, they'll have guitars, they'll have bass, they'll, or they'll have like a string orchestra if they're mm-hmm. big enough. Um, so there's even differences of opinion within the regular principle, but there's the same standard, right? Mm-hmm. So we sing because that's like in scripture, it tells us to sing, right? Yeah. When it comes to instruments, um, you know, you can have a wide range of opinion on which instruments to use, which ones can be most honoring, how you play them. Like, yeah. I'm a drummer. Mm-hmm. It's very, you'll have a lot of different opinions. So you never get to play in church. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you have, like, tons of opinions. Like, some people loved love when I drum. Other people, not fans. And, yeah. like, some drummers are way too crazy for them. Some aren't crazy enough. Like, it's everyone has their opinion. And that's why when it comes to the actual, like, acting out of these principles there, there needs to be a lot of grace in them mm-hmm. um and so yeah for us like i you know as a drummer of course i'm gonna like i think drums are, are great and we have you know psalm 150 like you said as well um so that's a that's i think an example of where we have the the principle right mm-hmm. the principle of singing songs together so what does that mean then how do we act that out do we use instruments do we just sing acapella how does it actually work itself out? And that's where there's the differences. Yeah. And like you said, we're all just trying to honor God in, in the best way. Like I would never go into like a Scottish Presbyterian church and be like, you fools, why aren't you using instruments? Like if they like, I don't know if that's what they like then. And I'd say it fits within being regulative. What, what we really are concerned about is we don't want to, like I said, I use that kind of bad example of like a, a Christmas wish list or something. And that's mm-hmm. not great because as a kid, I mean, it, like the metaphor falls apart because I didn't really know what was best for me anyways and stuff like that, yeah. whereas God does know what's best. But we see stories like in Leviticus in 10, there's mm-hmm. uh, Nadab, Nadab, Nadab Nabihu, and Abihu. Nad and Abu. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're sons of Aaron. And... Uh, it says they each took his censer and they put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered uh, unauthorized fire before the Lord, uh, which had, uh, oops, I lost my spot, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Like mm-hmm. they went, we're going to try and do this different. We had like, we, they had some new different way to light the fire that they were told like that they normally was part of their their worship and this isn't what god told them to do he didn't yeah. tell them to do it this way they brought this un, un you know unrighteous fire this strange fire depending on translations and they immediately are killed mm-hmm. and, and i think that's what we're trying to uh, avoid is i mean not that we think we're going to immediately die but just offending God by trying to bring in something that we think is cool, something that was our idea that he never really wanted. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, even in that verse, right, um, which he had not commanded them. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't really know what the strange fire, unauthorized fire was specifically. Like, there's differences of opinion on what it is. Mm-hmm. But the key there is, like, which he had not commanded them. And so for his worship, and specifically in this time, how the, the priests were supposed to present themselves before him um, and present offerings, God had given them specific instructions of how they were to worship, mm-hmm. and they decided to do it with strange fire, which he had not commanded. Um, that's why I think it's one of the th- reasons why we re- lean to the regulative principle, right? We see examples like this in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see like clear teaching of like, this is what we are supposed to be doing in, in our worship. Um, why, before we continue on there though, like with the normative principle, um, is, would you say that's like a bad thing to, for someone to practice? Like a lot of people don't even put these words to it, Yeah. but that's kind of how they, well, I think how it acts out. Normative principle is kind of like, especially where we live, that's sort of the default. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be informed of something else to be not normative and yeah i i personally i like i grew up in that and i heard a lot of you know i just don't like singing that's just not how i worship Mm -hmm. and that in our culture especially as western canadians like you you say like well you can't say too bad you have to sing anyways but that's kind of what like that's what god asked for us so you kind of can say too bad that's (laughs) what we're doing anyways um like I, one passage that uh, I always think of is in Amos five. I can't remember the the verse, but God talks about how their worship was just noise. Mm-hmm. He says, "I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want any of this." He's like, "Your worship is just noise to me." And it was sort of because they were just like, "Oh yeah, saying whatever." And it, and it had a lot to do with them turning to idols. But I just think about not wanting that, not wanting to just like begrudgingly being be worshiping or to be trying to do something I've made up. Um, Mm. And yeah, as a kid, I remember specifically someone saying once, anything can be worship. Shaking Mm. someone's hand can be worship. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, I was like, how? Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't, I don't get it. And I think even now, like, because I could see the the logic behind like, well, if you're a, an amazing carpenter, God gave you that gift. So using that gift and glorifying him and praising him as you're using it, that's worship. And yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah, I could see that. But like, I have the gift of shaking hands. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I think we we don't really think through some of these statements that we say. I think it, it really does become just about trying to make it the most comfortable experience yeah. for people. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of our, you know, you have a lot of talk. Yeah, I mean, it's been going on for years and years, as long as I can remember. But, like, in, what styles of worship we can have, what mm-hmm. what can we, yeah, I mean, it usually centers around music, right? But oftentimes it's just like, yeah, that's cool. Let's do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and and someone will come up to the pastor or whatever and be like, hey, I want to do this like in the service. Is that okay? And they're like, sure, yeah. Mm. Like use your and it's all this stuff like use your gifts and everything. Um, uh, an example, I don't know if this will step on toes or whatever, but um, 
this was at a conference. So, I mean, even in that, maybe mm-hmm. we have some differences. <laughs> but um, I've seen it at church services as well. But I remember being at a conference and they were playing worship music. Everyone was singing. And while that was going on, there was a guy painting. Oh, yeah. friend. He was like the centerpiece yeah. of like the whole thing. So it was like the whole time you're like singing and, and singing the lyrics, but you're also like watching the middle of the, the stage and you're like, oh, what's he painting? What's he doing? Mm. And then the end came where like, you know, the symbols hit and he flips over the painting. It's a painting of Jesus, right? Yeah. And so even in that, it's like personally for me, I would say that doesn't really belong in a worship service because um, we have, that has not been prescribed in the Bible for us. Um, if you have a, a verse for that, like <laughs> send it to our email and everything. But that's an example for me of like one where it's like, this guy has an amazing talent and gift. And I think honestly, in different scenarios, that is a great way to, that he could share Christ. Mm. But in a worship service, like at, at a church on Sunday, I don't think it's part like within the bounds of the, the regulative principle for yeah. that. Yeah, I've, I definitely have seen similar things or I've seen it where someone's painting on stage and then at the end of the service, they're like, this was a prophetic painting. Who's it for? Who's it right, for? Yeah. And I was like, where, where did you get this from? Yeah. Like, like there's so many ideas in there that just seem out of nowhere, not to mention the like possible second commandment issue where it's oh, like, yeah. <laughs> is it uh, against the second commandment to produce images of Jesus? Right. And I know a lot of reformed people uh, hold to that. So then you're like, I painted Jesus as worship. <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, that's, I, and I think uh, not to like keep going on this point too long, but the other side that I often think about with this, when I'm speaking to people, especially ones I disagree with on, on this is how, how that affects other people in the worship service, mm. which I've often, you know, things like that, like the painting was really distracting for me when I'm supposed to be singing praises to God. And I'm like trying to focus, like what that, what's that guy doing? What's he flags? Doing? Right. Yeah. F- like flags. And everything. and like, honestly, like I don't want to rag on this like too much because I know that people are, I, I think are doing them with pure hearts and everything yeah. like that. But like that often is distracting. And that's why Paul talks about having an ordered worship service Right. Um, even when he's speaking, you know, he speaks about speaking in tongues and stuff like mm. there should be an interpreter there. You, you know, it has to be ordered in this. You're, it's not just people who are supposed to be just like spewing out tongues or whatever and, and just speaking whatever they want in a service. There's order to mm. it. So even in that, like thinking of your, your brothers and sisters at the service and saying like this could be a cause for a distraction. Um, yeah. I talked about my drumming before this. I guess this is more of a could be more of an example, but um, I am more muted on Sundays with my drumming than mm-hmm. I would be if I like when I'm at camp or whatever. Yeah. When I'm drumming for camp, the reason for that is because I don't want to distract from the the lyrics or uh, what we're singing about, or even like in preparing for the message as well. I don't want to like throw in like crazy sick drum rolls yeah. and solos and stuff because I think that that takes away from the the content of our worship, right? Yeah. Um, and there's the temptation there to make it all about me. So yeah. no, I feel that. Well, like I'm, I love metal or like metal core to be specific. Mm-hmm. If someone's out there in the <laughs> subgenres, um, but 
I've heard of like metal churches where you walk in and they're like, good morning, welcome to Metal Sunday. And then the guy on stage is like, rah, rah. And it's like, what is this? And I feel like that's so distracting Mm -hmm. and that's so like catered to an individual that I worry about the heart behind it. And that's not even to say that God wouldn't love metal that's worshipful, but I worry about the heart behind it. And I think that's with a lot of these things, like they, they, there is a cultural element too. Like I've been, I mentioned flags and I think the defense, if someone wanted to be mad at me for that would be what's dancing. And in the old Testament, at least dancing is part of worship. It's hugely encouraged Mm -hmm. to dance. Right. But then also like, I think I've maybe been part of one church briefly where if you danced, it wouldn't have been a huge distraction. Like most churches, like I've spent most of my life in Baptist churches. So then if someone was just like, yeah, dance time, everyone would be like, what's going on? Like it's, so you have to think of the culture that you're in and what's going to be acceptable or like even to kind of counter my own point about metal. Like I know guys who just, like when they're in their own quiet time, they're listening to bands that like, there's a band called Wolves at the Gate metal band, but their lyrics are so worshipful mm-hmm. and that's what they need because they don't like Coldplay sound alikes, which right. is what most yeah. church music yeah. is. And yeah. I guess kind of on that, on that note, do you think, or why do you think we should only play hymns, Kyle? Because they're inspired. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Here's the thing. So I, I, I actually, I honestly don't know about you. I think you're the same, but I grew up in a church where it was hymns only with piano and organ um, from a hymn book. We eventually upgraded to the, you know, the slide, the, what's the, the, oh, the, the transparent. transparency. <laughs> Those are and, great. But then we got like a real projector and everything. But um, so I grew up singing hymns and i'm thankful for it because i love the the richness of a lot of the hymns mm-hmm. um and even just uh there there's songs that people um know and can you can just start singing together right like amazing grace mm-hmm. all, all these incredible songs but i think i think where you're getting at with this is that um oftentimes then what happens and i saw this in, in my church as well is there ends up being a divide where you start to introduce like good theological songs that have been written in the past like year or five mm-hmm. years or whatever. And people are like, what is this? This is new. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they get scared. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I'm sure there, like there's some people within a regulative principle, like perspective that'd be like, let's sing the hymns. Yeah. When I think, so yeah, I love hymns. And I'd advocate for a mix of hymns and new newer songs that are faithful. Mm-hmm. I think is like that that are faithful is is the emphasis there more than any age. Um, and yeah, it, what's great about hymns is that I can go visit my grandfather in like a, a, a home or wherever he is and reference a hymn, and he knows it. Mm-hmm. Like we know the same songs. Or if I'm like, hey you know, Grace Alone by Modern Post. And he'd be like, what? Yeah. Who? <laughs> the postman wrote a song. And yeah. um, like, it's there's a, a unity in having sung the same songs. But at the same time, a lot of those songs are written in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And we've been like, we, what was so special about the 1800s that we think that was the only song that like anointed 
music could be written. Right. And also be prior to that, what did the church sing? Like right. we have, I think so, uh, like a strange obsession with music from a specific era that also a lot of it, like Martin Luther was basically like Jesus juking pop songs. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. like taking like the big melodies. It'd be like whatever, like the, the chain smokers melody was that was big on the radio and just made it about Jesus. And, and right. that's how we have hymns. And then people are like, you can't bring modern music sounds yeah. into the church. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Every generation is going to have their songs. Mm. I think what we've seen with a lot of the hymns is they've stood the test of time. Yeah. Right. Um, and we'll have songs like from our lifetime, even that will do that as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we're just pumping them out <laughs> so much now. Yeah. It's like, there's a new one every single day. Um, that like so many get lost and it's like, oh, let's play the the top 10 or whatever. Um, and then like a month later, it's like, oh, that songs because we just recycle, like we yeah. go over and over. Um, and I, I mean, I think we're, we're kind of running out of time, but we should all, we should talk about like specifically singing one week because um, one of the things I think that's really important for a church is to have your group of songs that you can sing together as a church mm. and that your church knows so that yeah. they can actually sing along and they're not all just like standing there and listening to everyone, right? So having mm. those songs that are familiar and then introducing songs well and not just playing a song one Sunday and then just throwing it away after that, right? Just like consistently songs that your your church knows. Um, I want to read First Timothy 4.13 right. before we close off because th- when we're talking about regulative principle, We've talked a lot about singing and music. Um, but this is what Paul says to Timothy. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neg- neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Mm. So he specifically brings up for us, use your spiritual gifts, um, but give attention to the public reading of Scripture. That's why we read Scripture in our services. Um, The exhortation and the teaching. That's why we, we do sermons and we teach. We have other passages about singing right? And that's why mm-hmm. we sing. So when it comes to the regulative principle, we're looking at passages like this and saying, this is what God regulates for us yeah, to do absolutely. in our services. That's such a good passage. Well, and I think we, like, we focused a lot on music today and like, there are other elements to worship. Like even right now, we, we'd still say we have a worship service, even though we don't have music because we have prayer, we have scripture reading, we have confession. And mm-hmm. sort of for the sake of the podcast, I know we're going to do another episode, probably our next episode on, um, what is it? Ordinary means of grace, yeah, yeah. which is preaching and praying and, and reading scripture yeah. and those things. So we, we wanted to have an episode just to talk about sort of corporate worship in the sense of music because yeah. there's a lot to talk about and we oh, no. talk for hours about those. Yeah, ones. I was yeah. so excited when I saw you post that <laughs> paragraph from the 1689. Um, and well, I just love the 1689 in general. But uh, yeah, yeah, I was, I thought this was a good chat. And uh, if anyone listening is 
offended. I really hope you aren't, but if if you are, we'd love to talk with you. Come at uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're, I think you, you'll find we're actually very nice guys. <laughs> I can be very reasonable. Yeah, on a good day with our coffee. At times. Anyways, uh, you have any closing thoughts? No, I've said everything I need to say. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, or snide remarks, send them to pouroverpastors at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Until next week. I don't know. Keep it it fancy. Have a great week. (laughs)